so here we are today at <laughs> Studio 606, uh, which is one of the programs, part of the Museum of Art and History in Lancaster. And uh, we had a really great morning. Uh, we're celebrating the um, ribbon cutting for Super Bloom, which is a new installation by Joseph O'Connell on the corner of Lancaster Boulevard and and 10th Street West. Um, we we're, we'll get to talking to him in a minute, but how this all came about uh, was um, a partnership with the city of Palmdale. And we had a project at Avenue M, uh, five agencies, I think, George? Yeah, five agencies, uh, city of Lancaster, city of Palmdale, Metro, Caltrans, LA County. Yeah, so you can imagine, um, <laughs> I mean, we're laughing because we were part of the committee to find the artwork for that um, that big big project. It's, I think, a $30 million project. And during that process, um, we interviewed several museum, I'm sorry, several artists. Uh, many of them had museum kind of backgrounds, but we're, we were looking for someone that could build out something really representative of our two communities at the point between, um, literally, the, the, the boundary between Lancaster and Palmdale, and as you enter going south on the 14, going into Palmdale, as you in, as you go north on the 14, entering into Lancaster, and so there was um, this discussion about, you know, what are we looking for, what, what do we want to say about ourselves, how do we want to be viewed, and um, George, you want to talk about some of the, like, engagement that we did? Um, sure, I can, I can speak to that a little bit, although um, the engagement that we did um, was done by an artist, Danny Dodge, um, and she did a really comprehensive engagement um, requesting basically members of the community to, to tell us what they thought uh, identified us as a community, as not just as city of Lancaster, or city of Palmdale, but as the greater Antelope Valley. People submitted photography, people submitted poetry, people gave us all kinds of feedback that that really gave us a very clear picture of of, of who we are as as this community, this high desert community, um, and what what we can do with that in public art. One, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the elements uh, were, you know, open sky, the poppies, the Joshua trees, aerospace, uh, diversity, a community, and and you know how we look after each other. And so it was it was a really interesting, uh, comprehensive report that uh, Danny produced uh, for us, and it was it really kind of gave us the template to move forward and 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 communicate with the artists and and give them the input that they required to uh, develop a concept that they were then to pitch to us, which, uh, was, it was a very interesting process. It was really engaging. I, I loved the process. I love that our community had a say in what's going to happen at Avenue M. But I think one of the best parts of the process is that we got to meet Joseph O'Connell. Um, he was one of the finalists, uh, from the proposals and, uh, it was very obvious that he was the favorite. Um, uh, unfortunately his design, well, fortunately, his design is based on engagement and getting people to walk through the installation. Unfortunately, where it was going to go in this Avenue M project was in a roundabout where you could only experience it while driving 40 miles an hour around it. So um, we all got talking about, you know, we would love to have Joe do something somewhere else in the city. 
few years later, um, we found a perfect location, which is nicely posed right at the beginning of that boulevard here in Lancaster. And it has become kind of a gateway piece now. And we were able to work with Joe for the last two years on this project. And um, well, I'm just I'm just going to let Joe talk about what sure. what that was all about. Joseph O'Connell, the artist for Super Bloom. The community engagement was what I saw first before I even came out to Lancaster Palmdale, and um, I saw all those elements in it: um, aerospace, nature, wildflowers. But what really stood out is how people would interpret their own life stories and human ebbs and flows and use nature as a way to guide themselves through that. Because we all have our cycles of drought and blooming and uh, nature shows us that things, things can look pretty bad and then just explode in exuberance. So then I actually physically came out, this was during COVID and during wildfires. So the air was brown, everyone was in a mask. It was pretty desolate. I'm also from a high desert community, Tucson, and it gets, it gets like that there too. We had wildflowers in the Catalina Mountains above our city. And same as with Lancaster, the very next spring, we had a super bloom. And um, you just have to realize that the goodness lies in wait below, waiting to spring forth. So that was kind of the concept behind that, starting with the community engagement and then the visit. Yeah, and I, and I love that you also with this piece, that your incorporation of our industry here, um, aerospace industry, is it's definitely evident in the work. Do you want to talk about that? Yeah. So I also looked at, um, you know, uh, alongside runways, there are these like semaphore-like signals to guide airplanes. As you look at the hydraulic and electrical diagrams of airplane innards, there are lines and circles and symbols. and what I tried to do is draw flowers that way. Not because I don't know how to draw flowers, but to make them schematic so that people wouldn't just see flowers, they'd see the flowering of what humans can do. And so we used aerospace aluminum, we used uh, fasteners that look like rivets, we used the simple geometries of intersecting arcs and circles that are used in aerospace to make these stand-ins for flowers. And it's super successful. Yeah. Yeah. The, the discs also that represent the color of the flowers, um, do you want to speak to that, uh, especially with the, the sun changing and the, and the weather changing here? Yeah. So one of the materials I brought out just on a hunch when I visited was this new type of colored UV-resistant polycarbonate. It's a pretty sophisticated, multi-layered process. So I brought some of those samples out and some colored glass and just kind of in a relief as I'd be walking out in the desert, I just hold those up against the sky. So that's the material we ended up using. It's half inch thick polycarbonate. And it's actually, it's like five layers. There's an inner color layer that we took from wildflower colors. Then there's polycarbonate layers for strength. And then there's an outer cap that absorbs ultraviolet radiation. And then we worked with the manufacturer of the polycarbonate to create a finish that wouldn't diffract the light so that as the sun goes through, it casts beautiful colored shadows on the ground. So with a lot of the art I do, I like to incorporate light so that the art influences an area beyond its own physical dimensions. Kids apparently also love walking in the colored shadows of the art and having like their whole body turn orange or green or pink as they stand between, as the sun 
uh, as the art is between the sun and them. Yeah, we watched them do that today at the ribbon cutting. It was pretty special. Yeah, that's pretty great. And I think we're this this installation is going to be one of those pieces that propels interest in public art um, in a way that we really haven't achieved before. I mean, we we do have a lot of murals and we've had a, a several round, roundabouts and some new sculpture on the boulevard, but we really haven't had a piece that the community has kind of come around to and realized that like art is good and it's good to have it in my daily life. And I like driving by here and seeing this every day. We heard several people speak to that at the, at the ribbon cutting today. Um, how, and I know this is what you do for a living. And so it's your regular practice is to engage people and to build things that um, get people to have art in their life on a daily basis. How do you think that a community like ours moving forward, like how are we going to top this? <laughs> <laughs> I think you find places, I think you start with the phrase that just kind of sprang up this morning, art you can use in your life. You find places where where you need art um, and that's in the time dimension, like as you're moving between work and home is really critical because that's where you're resetting your mind. Or, so driving, which is often a difficult time, although it's great to listen to podcasts, is is an opportunity. Parks and public places um, alongside bike paths. Look for the spaces where people are doing their most mental readjusting and then give them what can work there. The idea that art is supposed to serve civic purposes rather than the individual psychological evolution of a tortured artist is actually the long history of art history. That's what art has been for millennia. And that's what the best public art does now. So look for those opportunities where people are going to be receptive and need something. I love that idea of like finding that transition space, like right, going from home to work or work from home or sh on your way to shopping or picking up your children from school. Like those are transitional spaces. And, and that's usually when we do our most of our thinking too. It so is. yeah, having the, I love that idea. That's so great. Um, I just want to thank you so much for the opportunity to work with you over the course of the couple, last couple of years. And, um, and I'm speaking also for our whole MOA team um, and our Parks Department. Um, you have been such an exemplary example of working with a professional. And we, at every turn, you were there, your team was there. Um, you answer questions. You actually helped us learn a lot about this process um, in, in permitting and other engineering issues. Um, but I, I want to thank you and definitely reach out to your team to thank them as well. And thank you for being here today for the ribbon cutting and that beautiful piece that will be here in downtown Lancaster in perpetuity. Well, right back at you from our team at Creative Machines to your team, uh, Lancaster and Palmdale and everybody involved. It's been a pleasure working with professionals. Uh, it doesn't always go as wonderfully as this project has, and hopefully future projects will. Yeah. This has been fantastic. Thanks, Joe. Here we are again, uh, speaking about public art. Um, we're joined by um, George Davis from, from the city of Palmdale, yep. and also Robert Benitez, who is our curator at, at MOA, at the Lancaster Museum of 
Art and History, and Nuria Manatula, who is one of our public artists here in the city, who's done multiple um, murals and other projects. And also, I just want to also shout out to his day job. Um, he's the creative director for the Housing Corps of America, which supplies and uh, leads after-school programming for um, affordable housing st students and young people, and also uh, senior programs. So he is definitely um, qualified to speak on what our community is made up of, what those needs look like, and and how we can integrate public art into their daily life as well. Um, anyway, I want to give Georgia an opportunity to talk a little bit about the Antelope Valley Walls project because it was their first year. And then I think most people know the history, but I'd, I'd love to hear you talk about like your um, experience with that um, coming as a first timer. Yeah, sure, sure. I mean, we we started talking about uh, Palmdale getting involved in 2020, if you remember. Yeah. Um, at the time, we were not quite ready. Um, we, we had just adopted the master plan. We hadn't adopted an ordinance. We were trying to get the organization uh, to a point where we were comfortable uh, with public art in Palmdale, uh, much, you know, much less talk about, you know, we're, we're collaborating with another city. We're doing this project that involves artists coming from out. It was just like, we're, we're not quite there. <laughs> and then, of course, COVID hit, so yeah. moot point. Um, in uh, 2022, um, we, we were ready. And I spoke with Andy and Robert and, and Carlos at MOA, and we, we started to talk about, you know, well, you know, what does this look like in, in Palmdale? And what does it look like in the Antelope Valley? Because I know the vision was always to include other cities in the Antelope Valley. So, so we were excited and also, quite frankly, a little bit nervous because it's, it's a lot to take on. And um, for our program, it's, uh, it's a staff of one. Um, that's me. Yeah. Uh, so, You're doing a lot, though. <laughs> so... Uh, but yeah, we took it on. I mean, you know, I get plenty of support through the Parks and Recs Department, mm -hmm. uh, and and that worked out really quite seamlessly. What once we figured out um, where which walls we were going to dedicate for uh, the program, uh, and we started selecting the artists, everything just started falling into place. Um, there was an energy with uh, the Antelope Valley walls. Um, not, I mean, it was consistent throughout the Valley where people were just excited about it. People would, and I know you've experienced this on an ongoing basis out here, but in Palmdale to have an event of that nature where we're having several murals painted at once, there was a synergy there that was really great and really exciting. And we, and we, um, we're just really proud to be part of that process and really, um, very excited about the outcome and, and, and the potential moving forward. Cause you know, we're already starting to talk about, well, what walls are we going to We only have a year to go <laughs> yeah, for next yeah. our next iteration. Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. Well, just to give some folks here listening a little bit of background, um, the Antelope Valley Walls Festival, which is an art and music festival, um, started uh, at, with a partnership with a powwow Hawaii, uh, which is a nonprofit in uh, the Kaka'ako neighborhood of Honolulu. Uh, where they were uh, utilizing um, a very utilizing kind of street art and printmaking to activate the youth of the community, and it was it's a very successful program. Uh, powwow, powwow expanded worldwide um, into many cities, and Lancaster being one of them. And then in I believe it was 2020, uh, they changed the name to Walls, 
And so now uh, each community, like we were powwow AV, Antelope Valley, now we are um, Antelope Valley walls. So it's also DC walls, Long Beach walls. So you get the idea. So we're, it's still a collaboration with the original organization, nonprofit out of Honolulu. Um, but it has definitely been a really great collaboration with Palmdale um, over the or over this last year. Um, Lancaster has done a walls uh, iteration. We started in 2016. We did one in 2018. 2020, which everyone was surprised because it was in the middle of um, COVID. And, um, and I'm going to let Robert speak to that um, about how exciting that was. But we actually we actually did the festival um, during the pandemic. And then, of course, again in 2022. And we'll be doing um, the next one in 2024. But I'm, I want to let Robert talk a little bit about that because there, there were multiple projects during the pandemic that he was leading, including the hashtag Count Me In project that became public art um, components. So with Antelope Valley Walls, we uh, wanted to think about ways that we can still bring this festival to the community uh, during the pandemic. Um, one of the things that's very helpful is that most of these murals are painted, I mean, obviously outside, they are in public spaces, they are kind of sort of socially distant inherently. Um, so one of the things that uh, we wanted to do, of course, uh, I think I think the major change is really not so much inviting the international artists, but keeping it local, uh, keeping it uh, fresh. One of the things that we wanted to do also was um, really just activate the neighborhoods around the Boulevard Cultural District. And uh, yeah, just inviting the, the public down to come and check it out um, as the murals were being constructed, um, painted. Um, so I think it was a really great festival for the the time. Uh, Count Me In, I know you mentioned, was another uh, awesome way that we were able to activate the public as well. Uh, we had two artists in residence. Uh, actually, we had three, Edwin Vasquez, Robin Rosenthal, and Jane Zabo. Uh, Robin Rosenthal and Jane Zabo uh, worked specifically with the community to uh, take portraits of community members in and around uh, the downtown. And those uh, became essentially giant posters that were in all of the windows and the businesses along uh, the boulevard, transforming those spaces uh, into essentially drive uh, drive through gallery space. So uh, we got to be able to, one, uh, highlight people uh, in the community through portraiture, but also uh, share about the importance of the census and why that year in particular um, there was real importance in, in getting people counted and getting people uh, to opt in and self-enumerate uh, right. so that we can get the resources that we need allocated to uh, to this area. It was such a great project. I, I loved seeing all the portraits in the windows and also just walking the boulevard. Everyone's got masks on and, you know, it's, it was still kind of early in the game, in the, in the COVID game, but um, people were afraid. But there were so many people came out just to see those. And even if you didn't get out of your car, you, we would watch people drive by multiple times so that mm -hmm. they around the rhombus and to, to make sure that they saw um, the portraits. It was such a great project. And I think we don't think about things like that in, the, in terms of public art because we always think about this kind of functional, large, something that's 
that looks like art, right? Mm -hmm. And like, mm -hmm. we don't think about portraits of our community members in terms of art unless they're in a frame and they're on a wall that's in a gallery. Mm -hmm. But this, like, we, you literally made the downtown an outdoor gallery. And I, I think it was really fantastic. It also helped our community redefine what they think is public art. Yeah, I, I think that um, it's very easy to look at public art and just see the finished product and yeah. not necessarily see all of the work and all of the research that has gone into a project um, like Count Me In or like Super right. Bloom, for example. Uh, you know, Super Bloom came through through another uh, art project that had an extensive community engagement aspect to it. And that, I think, ultimately produces, you know, the, the best public art for a community to have a connection with it. And that was, of course, I think, sponsored by uh, or the artist that we had in charge of that community engagement project was uh, Danny Dodge, who, right, right. of course, this was also during the pandemic, had to figure out a way to to uh, curate and build and bring uh, community engagement aspects to uh, to the public uh, during the pandemic. So lots of things of things were online. We had poetry submission forms. We uh, came up with a hashtag for Instagram photo submissions, and uh, yeah, it was just a really wonderful project that ended up and culminated in a report called uh, Southbound Northbound. And uh, that information was then passed along to the artists who were part of that Avenue M project and ultimately informed, which resulted in one of the projects today. Yeah, Super Bloom. such a great community engagement. And I, I think you're right. I don't think it, everyone knows what goes into these projects. Um, it's challenging, right, George? Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. It reminds me of uh, their there was an artist who put out a uh, well I don't know he didn't put it out it was it was post his his death um, but the title of that was called the journey is the destination mm -hmm. uh, nice. and that process and I can't re recall the artist's name but the, but the process is so important for all of these projects from mm -hmm. from beginning to end um, it's not just hey, we, we finished this project, this is it, it's done, it looks great, it, it has amazing presence in the community, that's one component of it, and that's like the, the, the one component that a lot of people are going to stay with, but everything that goes into the project, uh, include, and, and especially the engagement, I think, is, is critical, uh, because it really informs, uh, it informs us on how to proceed with these kinds of projects. It gives us a lot of information to sit with and share with the artists, and it 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 really kind of the end result is is really part of that process, right? And the the ownership that happens yeah, with right. the community, um, of course, Joe is from Arizona, um, and I know that we've had several people say to us, "Well, why didn't you hire someone local?" Well, we did talk to local people, and that applied. Right. Um, but I believe with the community engagement component, it couldn't be more local because mm -hmm. literally the concept comes from the people who live here. And, uh, and I know Joe spoke to that earlier when he was here um, about how that influenced his, his ideas in terms of aerospace and the super bloom that we have here in the landscape and just like our, the, and he used that Danny Dodge study on thinking about who who lives in this community who's going to who's going to partake in walking here and will they connect to it somehow and um, i think coming from an artist's uh, interpretation i want to kind of reach out to nuri also who's here with us um, to talk about what does it mean when you know you're collecting information about a community 
and well, you're from you're you live here, so it's going to be a little bit different. I but um, you understand this community from multiple perspectives. But what? How does that come together when you're thinking about um, what those ideas are that are not yours? Mm-hmm. And how do you like? How do you incorporate that? And in, maybe the Antelope Valley Hospital wall would sure. be a really good example to talk about. Right. Um, so my partner Coco Brown and I, we were for the most recent AV walls. We were working at the Antelope Valley Hospital, which is an amazing opportunity, but a gigantic wall, um, and it presented itself with a few challenges. Um, I'd say about half of the wall was in the north end of the parking lot, so ex- visible from the street, which is amazing. Um, parking lot, nurse staff, doctors' parking lot, so they all they all got to see it, got yeah. to see the process. Um, and then the other half was in the um, uh, in the mental ward. So for uh, and it was outside, and uh, which was which was a really cool experience because we got to interface with the hospital staff and um, basically learn a lot about what goes into designing something that uh, you know maybe we didn't we weren't expecting we had a, a design that we were really really excited about really proud about and uh, the museum staff rightfully so came yeah. back with some uh, with some concerns about you know uh, basically visual cues that might not resonate as well with the population there and so um, you know learning about those um, different demographics what would uh, how is different communities going to respond to it mm-hmm. you know different um, visual styles aesthetics that's a big part of what we do um, when we're working in the public sphere as well as what I do when I'm working uh, with HCA um, and on on site with those properties right um, trying to engage the community there see what resonates with them and then really um, trying to push that um, as far as okay well what are you thinking and then maybe taking a little bit further yeah right. and you know just to give some background on that uh, Antelope Valley Hospital or Medical Center now I think yes, they call themselves um, it, just a little bit of background on that your that your proposal was not some outrageous um, concept it was a beautiful landscape it was and yes, I thought so and yes. yeah and even in what we think is a peaceful suggestive positive message in this landscape when when we started to talk with the you know the healthcare facility folks and they were talking about the needs of their patients and the triggers that would happen from a specific color or an outline or we learned a lot about that we did. and yeah and so um and it, the design is still there the original design is still there just a little bit of color modification sure. and some outlining changed but um, for the most part, like I think it was a really educational opportunity for all of us to understand um, f- we come from an arts background and often we don't think about what does it mean for, with someone that has a mental health issue to look at something and w- what the, what is their interpretation, right? So it was kind of a great learning yeah. curve, right? A wonderful educational experience, which is something I preach daily in almost all my classes is to never stop learning. Mm-hmm. Every The moment you think that you learn it all or that your way your your first instinct which is often what i think we want to lean towards yeah then uh when we resign ourselves to that then we're closing ourselves off to everything so i always tell my students um and residents to just yeah open yourself up and, yeah uh, right. yeah nuri i know that we i mentioned the count me in project and i mentioned the three official artists and residents that we had yeah. but you also worked on that project really closely in fact you came up with a mural for that that was a part of the exhibition uh for count me in I was wondering, because I know that lots of your participants inspired that particular piece, if you can speak to that uh, 
the formulation of that mural? Yeah, so uh, that was a really fun project to work on. First off, um, because we we did it inside in the atrium wall, which was you know a couple stories tall. And when we're working that large, we're used to using spray. So the process was a little different for us. And so we got to dig into that. But then content thematically, um, just you know based off the Count Me In project, we thought it really um, crucial to include some resonance from some of the classes that we had participated in, both seniors and youth uh, from images from both uh, seniors and youth from uh, some of the communities that we work with. And so um, we splice that together just with sort of the feel and vibe of images from the boulevard that I've gotten when I'm walking down there. Um, it's a really interesting kind of ecosystem here because most of the communities I work with are within a mile of the boulevard. And yeah. so I'm working with communities that live here, that walk the same streets, that are experiencing many of the same things, but all, always through different lenses. And so I, we wanted to capture a little bit of that, like trying to showcase a wide group of folks localized in the same area, but via different experiences. Mm -hmm. and, and one of the most popular um, visuals or graphics from that mural is the girls skateboarding. Right, right. And it became so popular that we made a pin out of it and the museum sold those pins and, and we keep selling them out. Everyone loves that, the girls skateboarding pin. Awesome. It's pretty great. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, a big part of that too was just, I know for a while, skate, you know, skateboarding can be, you know, it's a little bit polarizing. Perhaps yeah. you could probably say that, make an argument for it. Sure. Um, and you know, a lot of times people are restricted to where they can skate, where they can't skate. So, but I mean, that's present. It's ever present right next to the museum. There's that alleyway is a bunch of skaters. And so, yeah. you know, I wanted to make sure that those folks, you know, weren't forgotten either. It's a big mm -hmm. part of at least my experience walking down the boulevard, yeah. walking past the museum is seeing sure. all those skaters and that's fantastic. Um, yeah, trying to represent that. We love that. That's fantastic. Yeah. There's, there's a museum in Barcelona, the Macba, and um, it's, it, the, the entrance to the museum is always crowded with skaters. And at one point, they were like, no, we got we to gotta get, we got to do away with this. This is, this is not, you know, what we want here. It's like a, this is a contemporary art museum. And um, so many people complained about it that that was part of the experience. That was part of the culture of going to that museum, that they welcomed them all back. And they're just like, yeah, just hang out here as long as you want. Because it is part of the culture. It is part of that experience. So um, it's so great that you included that. And then it's something that, that MOA resonates with as well. Yeah, absolutely. I think when we have these uh, notions of, you know, skateboarders or folks who are doing this or teenagers just walking down the street, there can be, you know, when we jump to conclusions, we're shutting ourselves off to a lot of that. And I think working in the community has given me a broader perspective to, I, I mean, understand that we don't know what they're, you know, it's the future generation, really. Right. I mean, a lot of these younger yeah. kids. So we're seeing them, you know, skateboard, but they're doing it right next to a museum. Are they going inside? They're checking out artwork. Is, you know, one piece they see inside of Mo, is that going to change their trajectory? Is going to resonate with them? And so they want to start doing art. They want to start doing murals right. and activating in the community. And then it's this really cool just circle. And so you have to just keep it all open and keep it flowing. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of glad we're next door to the skate shop and we do get a lot of the skaters come into the museum and they own it, you know, it's like it's their museum. Robert and I have worked really hard um, to create an inviting experience for everyone. Um, and, you know, we want everyone to feel like it's their space because museums typically have like that reputation of being for someone else. Sure. You know, it's not for me. It's not for my people. It's not I don't. I, I don't I don't understand it. 
and um, the the opportunities that have been created there and the curation has really changed the kind of definition of, or at least we think, um, of the museum. And just seeing our demographic and who's walking in the door and enjoying the space, I think speaks to the opportunities that have been created through our engagement, the exhibitions, there's all these, you know, and I, I know we talked about this at the last podcast, but um, the curation really it is meaningful when you can create these entry points for everybody, not just our academic art world. So anyway, um, I would like to talk about future plans. Um, and Robert, I know you are working on the Amargosa Creek project, uh, which we're still in the design phase, but do you wanna speak to that a little bit? Because I know this has been like a pet project for you. So. <laughs> Sure. So uh, the Armagosa Creek uh, is actually a natural uh, waterway that follows, uh, well, essentially the 14 freeway follows the Armagosa Creek. Um, and it has uh, sort of flanked on both sides. So it essentially runs through the, through the entire Inlet Valley. You can trace it on a map. It runs through all of Lancaster and actually through all of Palmdale. Right. Um, and it's a great way uh, thinking about how our natural landscape and how much the people embrace the desertscape. Uh, we see that with, you know, our current facilities like Prime Desert Woodland, uh, Prime Desert Woodland Preserve. Mm -hmm. um, but thinking about it as sort of a linear, a linear experience of the desert and it being inherently connected with the story of water, which I think is a really precious story to tell in the desert. Um, and to be able to activate this natural, this naturally occurring formation through the use of trails, bikes, and also public art. Right. Um, so one of the things that we've been working on with our capital uh, departments is actually developing our portion of Armagosa Creek into uh, a, a trail, a, a multimodal trail that will be designed for bicycles, but also pedestrians and have some really uh, great spots where public art can be integrated from the start. So. It looks like we've just gotten the sort of first draft of plans back, and there's a number of different locations that I think will end up being fantastic public art spaces to engage the community further in those conversations around those intersections between art and our natural environment. Yeah, I I'm excited about the project, and then I, you gave you guys gave it a funny pet. So. If you're listening and you're familiar with the High Line in New York, it's it, it will serve a similar purpose where you'll be able to be outdoors on like a what we think was kind of an unusable space, which will now have walkways and bikeways and places to sit and enjoy mm -hmm. nature. Um, but you guys gave it a, a funny name. Yeah. So uh, New York has the High Line. We have the Dry Line. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I love that. Um, so that's keep your eye open for that. Um, there will be in this next year opportunities for artists to um, propose uh, public art there in uh, both um, sculpture and uh, 2D mur public art murals. Yeah. Um, we're also thinking about, you know, some creative ways to get people engaged on the tr trail itself. Um, there are some spatial limitations, but, you know, if you already are thinking in terms as an artist in terms of some creative ways to get people engaged, even physically, um, we were talking about, you know, creating murals actually on the pathway where you could change environments and literally like walking through water or, you know, uh, walking in the footsteps of maybe 
uh, previous animals that would have inhabited the space, mm -hmm. things like that. Um, and, and that also uh, appeals to a younger audience as well and not just the adults who are out there exercising. But think about that. So that's coming up. And then also um, uh, we should probably talk a little bit about the public art that is currently at Prime Desert Woodland Preserve. Um, we uh, have, what, three pieces there? I think three pieces there, the Devon Thor piece, the Art and Residence piece, and the Ann Weber piece. Um, we are about to, and this is really exciting, announce, and it hasn't been announced yet, but it will be shortly after I blow the whole thing right now. Uh, we are working with Nancy Baker Cahill, and she is um, going to install a permanent augmented reality installation at the Prime Desert Woodland Preserve, which will open to the public October 7th. Um, of 2023 and we couldn't be more proud because she is a really really incredible artist and I and I feel like this is probably the most um, appropriate piece uh, for the landscape because it doesn't actually affect the landscape <laughs> you're going to use your phone and interact with it in kind of the sky right um, we won't be disturbing the soil or the seed beds or the um, the natural habitat of the flora and fauna there in Prime Desert Woodland Preserve. So that's coming. Think, uh, think about that. We have the Antelope Valley Walls again coming in the fall of uh, September of 2024. So if you are a mural artist or an artist that has never done a mural before but would like to and you're a painter or maybe you're a great drafts person, I don't know, maybe even a photographer, um, we would love to hear from you. Um, on the museum website, there is a submissions page for artists to get involved. Um, other ways to get involved with the museum, um, our Moa Cedar also has a submissions page on their website. And if you are interested in being an Antelope Valley Walls artist, uh, you can call the front desk at the museum and we are happy to take your contact information and put you on the list for uh, future projects. And by the way, we do share the information with the city of Palmdale, who's our partner in Antelope Valley Walls. Um, and we will be choosing those artists uh, January. 2024. Um, you have 24, so that's six months away. And um, so if you are interested, you know, get a hold of us. Or you can call the city of Palmdale, too, and get a hold of George in the sure. Parks Department um, if you're interested in, in specifically painting in Palmdale. Um, but I think that kind of wraps up our talk about public art and there's so much coming and a lot of opportunity and thank you Robert for being here today and thanks Nuri and thank you George we never get to do anything anymore together so this <laughs> so is thanks, really good thanks I, for inviting me I appreciate it yeah glad great. you're all here and um, uh, check out the, our website um, lancastermoa.org um, do you want to share Palmdale's website for public art? Uh, yeah, our, our public art is is through our, our main city page, the city of Palmdale.org, and there's uh, a public art uh, uh, breakout page, uh, which which includes all of the all the pieces uh, throughout Palmdale. It's got a bit of information on our photography and location. Um, so yeah, just the main the main city of Palmdale page. Sounds Nuri, great. where can people find you? Um, on socials, I go by at Nur N U R underscore I. It's a little T Rex logo. All right, there and nice. then, yeah, that's probably the best way. Sweet. All right, thanks you guys and uh, rock on. Awesome. All right, thanks for having me. Thank you. Uh -huh. <laughs>